I'm Kara Infante, and this is Bookish Flights. In each episode, I chat with one bookish guest as we take some time to sample and savor the pairing recommendations from their bookish flight. We hope to give you suggestions to cultivate your TBR list and nurture your leisure time through books. In today's episode, I'm chatting with Lori Ann Wood. Lori lives with her husband in an empty nest in beautiful Bentonville, Arkansas. Having discovered a serious heart condition almost too late, Lorianne writes to encourage others to explore their difficult faith questions along the detours of life. Lorianne's award-winning book released in February 2023 with Cross River Media, Divine Detour, The Path You'd Never Choose Can Lead You to the Faith You've Always Wanted. Read more from her at lorianwood.com. Welcome to the show, Lori. Oh, hi, Kara. Thanks for having me. You are so welcome. I'm so glad you reached out to come on the show, and I'm very excited to hear more about your story. Yes, I'm. This is just so great because I don't get to talk a lot about books that I read, so I'm loving this. <laughs> yeah, and this is that was kind of my premise behind starting the show is I'm not a big TV watcher by nature. Um, and I read all the time. So to me, authors are my celebrities. And I'm like, well, I would love to know what my favorite authors are reading. Like, I yeah. want to know what you guys are reading who are writing for us. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, why don't you tell us a little bit more about who you are? Yes. Well, I have three grown children and I just recently had a grandbaby. So I'm a brand new grandma. Congratulations! Yeah, it's just, it's everything everyone says it is. And it's even more than that, but I, that's, we'll get into <laughs> as we go, but it's wonderful. I, you know, I didn't start out to be a, a writer. I'm actually okay. a CPA. I went to business college. I taught college accounting for about 25 years. Wow. And I had just a big health moment about eight years ago that really changed everything and sort of reordered my life. And so since then, I've just been on this other trajectory. Yeah. I can imagine, um, you know, the, how that would just stop you in your tracks and you're like, wait a minute, mm -hmm. what yes. am I doing? Where am I going? Yes, that well, that's exactly what happened because I I'm just kind of a healthy person. I have low blood pressure and low cholesterol, and I was humming along fine. I had kids at home at that time, and the shortened version of the story is I was just suddenly diagnosed with end stage heart failure, wow. and. I, it was something that really knocked my feet out from under me because I don't have any family history and I had no risk factors. Wow. And to top it off, I three weeks before I got that diagnosis, I had a medical evaluation for a life insurance policy. And they said, you're so healthy. You have less than 3% chance of ever developing heart disease in your lifetime. Wow. I have the chills right now. Yeah, right. And I wasn't very surprised about that because I thought I'm not I'm not really worried about heart disease, you know, cancer sure. and car accidents. And, and so that really set me on a different course, as I was saying, and really made me examine life from a whole different lens. I couldn't teach anymore because I just didn't have the breath support and the stamina to lecture for 
hours at a time. And so I found that I could sit and type almost all day long. (laughs) And so, uh, you know, like so many people, I think I felt like I had a book inside me Okay. most of my life, but I think I was waiting to be an expert in something and I just never felt like I was an expert. And so once I got that diagnosis and my life sort of tipped on its head, I started just writing and, you know, took the time to write a book that I would not have taken in a safer, healthier life. So that's kind of my story and how I got to be where I'm at right now. So did you have, you had no symptoms leading up to this diagnosis? Well, that's a tricky one because I, I actually did have symptoms and I was trained at Mayo Clinic to be a community educator for Women Heart, which is a patient support network for women at risk of heart disease. And during that training, I started learning about these symptoms and looking back over 10, even 15 years before my diagnosis. And I realized that I had symptoms, but I didn't realize they were heart related. Wow. Okay. Yeah, they just seem so benign, you know, they were, and they masquerade as so many other things. And individually, they just seem like nothing. But when you, you know, you collect them all together over a long period of time, they, they're a big deal. Yeah. And I know I'm a physical therapist by trade. And I know for us women that heart symptoms present so much differently than men. So usually what we're hearing in the media or in magazines or things like that is more the symptoms that present in men. And it does present so differently in us women. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, I found out that things that I thought were just because I was getting older or, you know, menopause or, I was out of shape compared to where I wanted to be. My husband runs marathons and my children were playing high school sports. And I thought, you know, I know I'm the one that sort of let myself go. I'm the one that is not at peak physical condition here. So when I was the one that couldn't keep up with them in the Grand Canyon, or I was having trouble with any kind of incline or experiencing the shortness of breath, I thought... I'm out of shape and I know it and I'm going to get it back together one of these days. But, you know, I can look back now and see how it kind of started when my kids were much younger and I just dismissed them individually as they cropped up. But, you know, things like inability to exercise and unusual fatigue. And I had a a constant dry cough that I didn't even realize I had at the time. So there were just a lot of little things that I should have mentioned to my doctor, but because I felt like individually they were really benign, I didn't. Yeah. I feel like as women, we so often like dismiss ourselves because we're taking care of the family and we're dealing with the kids. And so we push things under the rug. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, that is such a theme with, you know, not only the book, but with my health and all these symptoms that I was having, because I, if I would have been completely honest with my doctor when he was saying, so, you know, are you exercising? Are you, oh yeah, yeah, I'm exercising. Yeah. (laughs) You know, 
then he would have started to notice it and he would have started to think, well, you know, maybe you should try. And then I could, I just didn't, I didn't share very much in those appointments. So you couple that with the fact that it does look different in women. It, it just does. And that's not the first thing that doctors think about often when, when we have symptoms that are heart related, a lot of times it's, considered to be pulmonary or something else. And so it takes a lot of self-advocating, even if you're intent on it. And I wasn't, I wasn't even in that mode yet. So. Yeah. It's hard to find the time, right. And that busyness. Mm -hmm. So. Yes. Yeah. So do you still work for women heart now? So I, yeah, I volunteer for them as a women heart champion. I'm a community educator. So I just, um, try to get information out as all the channels that I can for women. And we just do a lot of advocating and there's some one-on-one that we do with, you know, virtually or on the phone with women that are just recently diagnosed with something similar to what we have. So yeah. there's a lot of just peer to peer relationships and we work with that. Yeah. So with the heart failure, does that, I know there's heart transplants. Is that, an avenue for you or, um, you know, I, I've kind of been through a lot of different layers on this. I started out with the life vest, which is an external defibrillator vest that I wore for nine months. Okay. And then, and all this time I'm taking a lot of medication as well, but, and then I got an internal device in, I first got it in 2016 and then I got a new one in April but uh, right now, although last week I found out that my heart function had dropped again pretty significantly, oh, and she started to mention, <laughs> my cardiologist started to mention a transplant again, I'm still a very high-functioning heart failure patient, which okay. is good because I am high-functioning, but it's also a little bit bad because that's why... I pushed it under the rug for so long is because yeah. I was still able to do so much. So they're keeping an eye on it um, right now. Although my heart function would qualify me for a heart transplant, the uh, the stress test that I took last week would not qualify me to be on the list yet, quite yet. So yeah, it's, it's an option in the future, perhaps. And, yeah. you know, they it's a really strict process because it's, there's such a shortage of hearts yeah. that they have to be very selective. Yeah. My, uh, my dad needed a liver transplant actually. And so I have mm -hmm. been down this road with him and it is, it's very hard. I mean, mm -hmm. many years of waiting and, mm -hmm. you know, I know it goes based off location and organ availability and they're like, well, if you move and it's like, well, you're already, where are you going to go if all your family's here? I mean, he, you can't just right. up and move because you have no caregivers there to help you out. And exactly. It was a challenge for him for sure. Yes. Yes. Um, okay. So this led you to writing. So can you tell us a little bit about your book? Yeah. So obviously it was sort of born of this diagnosis and this chronic illness, but it's mostly about what happened in, in my faith as I was going through that, because I had been a, you know, been a Christian all my life and I really hit headfirst into needing some basic 
answers to some really big life questions. And I was kind of embarrassed, honestly, (laughs) to be asking them at my age and, you know, in my circumstance that I thought I should be, you know, completely confident and completely have all the answers at this point in my life. And I didn't feel like I did. So for a long time, I just didn't ask them. And then, you know, I, I got the diagnosis in early 2016. And then in 2018, I started this blog and it started to ask some of these basic questions. And it was kind of a leap of faith because up to that point, I didn't even have social media. I was a very private Uh, person and started putting it out there. And a lot of people were reaching out and saying, I don't have heart failure. I don't have any health problem, but I'm on this other kind of detour with a a child, an adult child or financial situation or career situation. And I relate to these questions you're asking. And so it went from there to writing some articles and being included in some anthologies. And then finally, all these things that I had been writing and all the thoughts and all the processing I had been doing came together in a book that was released earlier this year. So it's kind of been really about a seven year process to get from, you know, this change in my life to where it was ready to be included as part of this book. And the book is, uh, it's, it's an essay collection. It's 40 essays that look at these life questions and, um, I, I have gotten a lot of really good feedback about that, about making them essays instead of like a long form book, yeah, which is a little bit unusual. So I, I kind of stepped into that, not knowing what I was doing, but it's been a good experience. Yeah. So you can kind of, I I'm reading a book right now, actually, that's an essay format. Um, do you know, Corey Tenboom? Have you? Yes. Yeah. So I'm uh-huh. reading her. Yes. It's like after the hiding place. It's called Tramp for the Lord, and it's written in these short essays. And I found it has been so good for my life with my kids because I can read one of them while I'm in the pickup line at school, or I get a few minutes at soccer practice. I can read one of them, and it's so nice to read in that format. And I never thought I would enjoy it, but I'm like, here I am. Yes, love it. Yes, yes, and. And another thing I realized, and I didn't know at the time, I was writing in these little short pieces because I was in this sort of trauma situation with my health. And what I didn't realize is that when anybody has a, you know, they're in a position of pain or trauma, that's how, or a busy mom like you, that's how people read is their attention span shrinks. And so they're more apt to read in those short bursts. and that's how I was writing. So I kind of didn't know what I was doing, but as I wrote in those short ones, people were consuming them and not feeling, you know, sometimes you start a book or I do and I get partway through and then life happens and it sits on my nightstand. And I just, I feel guilty when I look at it. I think, ah, it's a good book. I don't know why I'm not finishing it. And this book, the book that I wrote with the essays you don't feel that way because you can jump in anywhere you want and read one or, you know, go back to the beginning and read the second one or whatever. And you don't feel like you dropped the ball. So that was something else that was important to me too. I just, I didn't want to create any 
you know, extra, extra heartache or grief or, you know, pressure on anybody. Yeah. It's not taking up headspace, right? Of like, yep, here it is still in here. (laughs) Um, so I imagine I was going to ask you, like, who did you go to to start asking these questions? And you went to a very public format of asking Mm -hmm. that questions. Was that scary to put yourself out there like that? You know, it really, it was. And I think I was almost just numb at that point, which was (laughs) very helpful because I just started tiptoeing into these questions and I, I remember publishing some of them thinking, well, I don't know if, I don't know how people are going to think about that. Cause at that time, you know, my email list was very small and I probably knew all of them by name. And yeah. it's like your <laughs> I didn't people, know what they were going to, your people yeah, are supporting my you, family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was so well received because I had, there was a lady, one in particular, I remember she had lost an adult son who was serving overseas and he died of the flu about five or six years ago. And then last spring, her youngest son died from suicide and she reached out to me and said something about it. And I just felt so unworthy to be, you know, to hold her loss in my hands like that. But she said, everything that you're saying about loss and grief and expectations and how life is supposed to be, it applies to me. And I I never would have thought of that. So I'm glad that I did step out there, but yeah, it was, it was a hard thing to do. And I think I did it kind of, you know, I kind of closed my eyes and just walked out there and did it. I was a little bit numb at the time and, and it worked out. Yeah. And I think that's just what you have to do sometimes, right? As mm. people ask me, like, how did you know you were ready to start the podcast? And I'm like, for me, it was just like, I just had to do it. Like I could sit here and hem and haw and, you know, just sit here and ruminate on like what it's going to be and what it's going to be. But until I get my feet out there, I don't even know what it's going to be, right? Until I'm really starting down that path. And I think it is the scariest step to take, but it is so important just to get it going. Yes. Yeah. When you don't, you never know. It's like when I was waiting to be an expert at something, Yeah. you know, I was likely never going to write a book if I didn't take a step into feeling like I'm not an expert. I don't know how to write a book. So I'm really glad that I did that too, because I I don't know if that's something that's ingrained in us in our culture or, or my generation or what, but I just felt like, what do I have to share? But sometimes you just do it and and you don't know what you have to share until someone else says, I can relate to that. Yeah. And I think that that is the part, right? That you can tell yourself if like, I touched just one person in this mm-hmm. adventure, like it, it was all worth it. Yeah. And it can be as small yeah. as that. Mm-hmm. Oh, so true. Because nothing else. I mean, I can, I have a file on my computer of when, individual people will email me or reach back out and say, oh, I'm doing this. And what you said here mattered. And it's not a huge file, but it's a file of what matters, mm-hmm. you know, not, not the reviews or any awards or anything like that. But when one person reaches back and says, wow, I was really hurting or I was really confused. And that, made me feel like I wasn't alone. Then you're like, whoa, who am I? 
you know, who am I to be doing this? This is so good. Yeah. And speaking of that small moment from the other side, right, of when we are hurting and there is grief mm -hmm. or whatever trials we are going through, to know that there is one person out there that is going through something that you are, that mm -hmm. allows you to be like, take a deeper breath, I think. Like, okay, mm -hmm. I, I'm not alone out here. Exactly what you're saying. Uh, yes. Yeah. And I, th I think we're all sort of looking for that. Anytime we read a book at, about anything, mm -hmm. we're kind of looking for that other person that knows where we are or understands a little bit about our story or has walked somewhere that we've walked. And so that's why I just... I've always, even as a kid, I I looked for books that had something that had to do with me, whether it was setting or character or subject, whatever it was, if there was one thing that I felt like, oh, that's me, then that's, that's where I would go again and again. And I think we still do that as adults. Yeah. Yeah. That's the quote I end the show with is a book comes in your life when you most need it. And I think that's so true because it, it, no matter what, it never fails. It's whatever, you know, I'm working through my brain, like that character will maybe be going like maybe just a small walk on the same path, right? Not the same exact thing, but I, I truly believe that just like people come to our lives. I think books do the same thing. Yes. Yes. I totally agree. Yeah. So what did you learn about yourself when you were writing this book? Hmm. I think I learned that I had so many more questions in me than I than I ever admitted to myself. And I think part of that is being a mom. I wasn't a great uh, question entertainer. Mm -hmm. I thought I should have the answers. And I thought the value was in the answer. Yeah. And so I wasn't real good at encouraging hard questions that I didn't have the answer to with my kids. And I did the same thing with myself. I just pushed those down and thought, I don't want anyone to know I have these questions or that I'm struggling with this and I'll work it out on my own. And yeah. as I started to write this book, just more and more questions came out more and more and more and more. And I realized that was my connection to other people. Yeah. is that they have the same questions. And so if I had never discovered that, I wouldn't have had that connection to be able to reach people. And, you know, and, and we don't, maybe we don't find the answer and that's okay. Cause sometimes I think we just need permission to ask the question. Yeah. I love that. Do you find now that you ask more questions, like, has it changed you a little bit as well? It really has. I think there was something in my health journey and still after, you know, seven or eight years, the doctors just don't know. They don't know what happened to my heart. Yeah. They think maybe a virus might've attacked it at some point, but you know, in a pre COVID world, that was kind of a weird idea. So yeah. we don't really know. And I had to get used to the fact that they don't know why I have it. They don't know. They're trying things to help me, but they don't know what would what would fix it. And it's been up and down. At one point, my heart was almost normal, and then wow. it came back down again. So there's just so much unknown that it it really got my attention and and made me realize that I can't. The knowing part is comforting sometimes. Yeah. 
but it's not really where the value is. And it's not where most of life is lived. I think most of our life is lived in uncertainty and, and that's okay. And we should entertain that and we should just learn from it and grow from it instead of just being so honed in on finding this singular answer that we may not ever be able to find. You're speaking so much truth there as my physical therapy brain is like pinging right now that I spent (laughs) so much time and I'm sure there's other maybe people, you know, medical professionals listening, talking to people, they'd be like, well, I need to have an MRI to see the inside of my knee to know exactly what's happening. And I'm like, okay, but they're not going to just give you an MRI. Unfortunately, our medical system doesn't work like that. And it doesn't, it's not going to change the treatment, right? Like I'm still going to treat you based off how you are showing up today. So knowing exactly what's going on in the knee, I mean, unless like surgical intervention is needed, which we can assess, I'm like, it's not going to change what I'm doing today. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of that of, you know, and I get that because I'm sure if I had a diagnosis myself, I'd, you don't want to live in uncertainty, in uncertainty. That feels like a very scary place to be, right? And black and white and like tell me what i you know where i am which but that is a hard place but there was a lot of time we would spend on we might never have an answer but that we are going to treat you what we're seeing today yes yes well and part of it for me was i think if if i could get to where it was black and white and where i knew the cause and effect then i felt like i could guard my family against it I could yeah. guard it from happening again you could and I it. could define it. Yes. Yeah. And, and when it was so out there and I didn't know where it came from and I didn't know how they were going to treat it, it felt like more of a threat. Mm-hmm. And so I, maybe that's as, as moms, why we do that is, you know, we're always in that protection mode, that mama bear mode. Mm-hmm. And if I can define the enemy, then I can protect against it. Yeah. But unfortunately, most of the time we can't define it. Yeah. Yeah, that is, it's very, a very hard place to be. I totally understand that. So it sounds like for your writing process, did you compile some of the blog posts that you have done over the years? Or are these new questions? How how did you get your, how did you compile this together? Yeah, so like I said, I started writing in these little bits and pieces, whether it was blog posts or articles. And I was just writing as I thought of the question. I didn't have like this master plan or anything. I'm like, this is bothering me today. I'm going to write about this. And when I got ready to write my book, I knew I had addressed a lot of questions, but they just came out, (laughs) you know, how they came out. And so I started putting them on sticky notes and I have a whole wall in my office that's covered with the questions that I addressed throughout all my writing. And, and then they started to sort of go into these three main questions of life. And that's how I organized the book is these three main questions and all of them kind of fit in one of those three. So I didn't really set out to do that, but as I started processing, you know, I, I guess I should take one step back how this really started before I even said, I'm going to sit down and type at my computer because I can't lecture. I, my, a friend of mine dropped a notebook by my hospital room. It's this little spiral notebook. And she said, 
I think she meant for me to write down like medications or something for the kids at home. And it turned into this place where when I would get up at night and they were taking my vitals, I would write down what was on my mind. Like, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why this is happening. How in the world, you know, how long? And then I thought when this is resolved and I'm healthy again, I'm just going to throw that notebook away. I felt like it was kind of catharsis. I'm getting it out. Yeah. Maybe I'll have a burning party. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And then when, when it never went away and I realized this is a chronic disease, I just stopped writing in it. And my husband was like, you should be writing all this down. And I didn't want to, because I didn't want to ever relive it. And I was still in the mindset that this is going to be a past this. We're going to get over this and we're going to look back on it. But I did, I, I would still get it out every once in a while and write something down. And that became part of each essay in the book. I have a little bit of a journal entry in each essay that's in the book. And if I hadn't written that down in real time, Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have that pain point. I wouldn't have that connection with the reader really yeah. to, to say, Ooh, that's what I'm feeling right now. And, and then, you know, having waited five or six years, I have perspective on the pain, Yeah, but I also have the exact pain moment in there. So that was helpful. I didn't want to do it, but that's kind of how it started. And then it just ended up into these three buckets of questions. Yeah, because I imagine our trauma response, right, is to kind of push everything away, right, of like, I don't want to remember this. And so you kind of almost like black out that part. And so having these journal entries, like you said, was this real Mm -hmm. time that maybe you might, your brain might have been trying to protect you and might not have remembered. Yes, exactly. And I can look back at it now and I'm like, I do not remember writing it. And I certainly don't remember living it on a lot of the things that happen. So it's been a gift that I, and I still have the physical notebook too, because it, it, there's just, it's funny because I did have grocery lists in between (laughs) some of the journal entries and things like that. Life was happening still. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Things were happening. I had a senior in high school. And so there was a lot happening that year. So I had a lot of, uh, you know, senior picture dates and all the things were still going on. Yeah. So, and then lastly here about your writing, if you could go back and tell yourself something now, can tell yourself your old self, what would you tell yourself about the writing process? Oh, I think, and and it speaks a lot to my personality as a child, uh, but I would just say, do it imperfectly and just do it. I would never have allowed myself to do that if I didn't feel at some point that I was almost running out of time. And if I don't do it, it's never going to get done. So that feeling like I was running out of time pushed me into doing it imperfectly. But if I could tell my younger self to start before I had that uh, ticking time bomb in my head, I would say step out there because there's so much to learn from doing it imperfectly. And, and it also just gets you started on that road. Like we were talking about earlier, it gets you going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I can't even think of where I heard this, but maybe at Bible study this week, we were talking about like getting the train rolling and how it's so much easier once it's already going versus like when we go from the stop position to the start, like that is the biggest push that you need. But if you keep it going and you just give it little pushes along the way, you're going to get that much further. Yes. And, and that's a good point too, is to just kind of start small. You don't have to do it all in the first step, just a little push. Like, you know, I, I just started doing blog posts because I was tired of doing individual texts to people about my health updates. Yeah. And, and then that became something else. And then that became something bigger. But if I had been in the hospital and said, I'm going to write a book, I would have said, Whoa, (laughs) no. Yeah. (laughs) not happening. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And then let's switch gears a little bit and talk about who you are as a reader. Have you always been a reader? Mm, Absolutely. I, you know, I was thinking about my kids love the summer reading programs at our library, but I grew up when there were no summer reading programs. The library was just a place that held books and I just remember so much being in there and that was really defined my summers because you had this freedom to go in there in the summer months and pick up whatever you wanted and read whatever you wanted. And there was just something so, such a privilege about that and being able to pick that book. And I just, I have such warm feelings about the small town library where I grew up because they, they've moved since then, but it, it was a magical place, even though all it was, was just shelves of books. There were no toys. There were no, there wasn't really even a children's section so much as just a couple of shelves, but it was, it was really, really special. Yeah. I actually, it was just talking about like my library experiences as a child as well. And that was my exact, almost exact memory of like the wonder, no matter what age of walking in, because just the, you knew you were going to get a book and you were going to get transported to another world. And the moment you're walking through that door of the library, there's so much promise that this is going to be there. And it's, you know, (laughs) it kind of keeps that childhood wonder going. And I've thought about that. I'm like, I still think I get that. Like I go have my big old long, to be read list on my phone and I just put it in alphabetical order and then I go to the fiction stacks and I start with whether I want to go A or Z and I find Mm -hmm. whatever they have available. So I don't really know what I'm going to get going in, but I have my big old, you know, 500 plus books on my to be read list. So I know I'll find something. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. Yes. I love that. I do. There is just something special about that because you're right. Everything's a possibility when you walk in and there's nobody telling you this is what you have to read or you have to do this with it. And even as a kid, it's just so much, even the card, like, we had a physical card at the time and it just felt like they're trusting me with somebody's book. (laughs) Speaking of the cards, I thought you were going to talk about the one that they would stamp that was like in the front of the book. So we just went to the central library here in San Diego. I mean, this was maybe six months ago and we got this book and it was an older book and, but it was a children's like classic children's book. And they had that card in there. My kids were like, what is this? Yeah, that's a relic right there. That is an old <laughs> library card. It's like teaching moment oh. here. Like it, it was so funny because they had just never 
seen that before because they no. all have the barcodes in them now. <laughs> so. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> little date stamp on it. Yeah. Yep. That was so fun. You'd hear the little click thing <laughs> and you're like, okay, I got this for this amount of time. They don't know that at all. Um, okay. And then what kind of books do you like to read? Mm. I am a nonfiction person. I love anything that has personal narrative in it, whether okay. that's essays or memoir or just, you know, anything like that, where it's a, a real person telling a story from their life. I just, I'm a sucker for those. Yeah. And exactly what you were saying is you can, maybe someone else's life experiences are similar to yours, or you can walk that same path with someone else. And so mm -hmm. I could see where those would reflect your personality. Yeah. Yeah. And, and on the flip side of that, like sometimes I like to pick up one where it's unlike anything I would ever experience. Yeah. And I get to be somebody else in their real life. And that, you know, to me, because it makes you, it makes you more empathetic when yeah. you're not you know, you, you'll never cross paths with this person, but except for in their book, yeah, that kind of opens your eyes up a little bit to the world. So I love doing that too. I love that part as well. Well, you've been so gracious to prepare a book flight for us today. Can you tell us what, how they pair together? Yes. Well, okay. The first book I have is an essay collection, as you might guess. Um, and I have several books of this author and almost all of them are essay collections. And this one is called Beekner 101. And it is uh, by Frederick Beekner. And it's just a collection of essays. Okay. And I it's it's I think he his tone and voice in there and his authenticity and the way he really vulnerably asked questions was when I first got the idea that okay. I can do that. I can ask questions. And so really his voice and the format were, were very influential over the book that I wrote. So I have a special place, uh, uh, like physically on my shelf, I have a special place for all of his books. That's wonderful. I've never heard of this. So I'm very intrigued. Yeah. He recently, he, I think it was this calendar year he passed away, but so he has uh he has some fiction he's got he's written everything but he's wonderful so okay. good all right so that was beekner 101 by frederick mm -hmm. beekner what's the yes. second book of the pairing today okay the second book is a is actually a children's book and okay. it's one that we had for our kids and we read to them and now my kids are gone and i'm honestly telling you that sometimes I get this book out and read it for myself still, because I think as any really good children's book yes. does, there's a message for the parents in yep. there as well as for the child. And this one is called You Are Special by Max Lucado. Okay. And a, a very classic children's book, but it's it speaks to you know your, your self-worth and your your value and how other people treat you and how that affects what you think about yourself. So I just, I find that I need to reread it all the time, but I love it. And my kids loved it. And obviously they're, they're all grown up, but I still read it to myself. Yeah. That sounds like a really powerful book. Cause that's, that are, those are messages we need to hear 
a lot, maybe (laughs) sometimes more as an adult, you know, I mean, I think we, we still run into imposter syndrome and just feeling like we don't belong even as an adult. Yeah, absolutely. And I always tell, like, I have friends that will ask me like, Oh, what books are you reading about the kids? And I was like, well, number one, you should enjoy the book too. Like, don't be suffering (laughs) through, especially when you get into the chapter books, right? It's like, don't suffer through a book that you can't stand either. Like it should be a book for all of, like you said, good quality children's literature, like has a message for us adults too. Yes. Yes. So is this a picture book? I haven't, I haven't seen this one either. I've heard of the author, but (laughs) yeah, it's a, it's a picture book. Okay. uh, But it's one of those that has, you know, probably, uh, uh, 50 words on a page or something. Okay. All right. And I, I saw that they also made it into a board book, which m- was greatly shrunk down, but um, the, the original version has a story in there and it's probably, I mean, probably for, you'd probably need to be about four or five to eight. Okay. Something. I was actually <laughs> thinking in my head, I'm like, oh, maybe I'll add this on my kid's Christmas list. They're three, five and eight. So they're like right there in that realm. Go. Yeah. So perfect. Well, thank you so much for sharing that one. So you are special by Max Lucado was the second book. And then what's the third book of the pairing today? Oh, the third one is a medical memoir that um it, it's heart related, but it's a it's a different heart um affliction than what I have. And it's The Last Ordinary Hour by Kathy Izzard. Okay. And that one is really gave me the idea to that you can take something that's happened to you very specifically like that and make it apply to a wider audience and make the uh, experiences and lessons and things that you went through apply to somebody that's beyond the story that that you're living in. So I, I love that one because it was very vulnerable. It was very it's it's just a book that's written from beginning to end. It's not essays, but it is a book that really draws a reader in and you can find yourself in that story, even though uh, Kathy's husband had a very rare heart disease yeah. and probably most readers have never even heard of it, but definitely there's things in there and <clears throat> just her example of of sharing that and what she was thinking um, helped me to realize what my husband must have been thinking when I had my first diagnosis. And so that was helpful for me. I really love that book. Yeah. And like you said, it gives you that dual perspective too, of the closest person in your life, right? Your husband and what he might be experiencing. And Kathy listeners, Kathy came on it's episode 37. She came on and talked a little bit about this. And I can't remember if she was the one that talked about this, but when they got to sit down and talk about their two different experiences that they lived together, like they had two totally different narratives because one was, you know, the person going through it and the other one was the Mm -hmm. caregiver and just, Mm -hmm. and I can't, again, I, I, I apologize, Kathy, that I can't remember if it was your episode, but someone has come on the show and talked about how their narratives were so different around the same event. Yeah. I I could see how that would happen because you're running it through, you know, completely different filters and you're seeing it from a different perspective. So just her sharing that, I, 
think I was a lot more empathetic to my, what my husband was going through because when you're the one that's having the medical issue, it's so easy to just focus on yourself because yeah. everything's focused on you mm-hmm. that it's helped for me to really look at how it's affect not only my husband, but my children and friends and things like that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of these. So that was the last ordinary hour by Kathy Izzard. So how I love to end our show is with our bonus pairings. And that's just a speed round of questions here. So I'll ask these really quick. Where is your favorite place to read? Oh, I, I still love to read uh, print. So I love to be outside. I love to be when it's in the winter, I have a spot upstairs that I love to read, but it has to be somewhere where I can hold the book in my hand and just, there's just some physical connection that I have with books. I I can't describe it, but. (laughs) Yes. Oh, I love that. And then what is one book you've read that has changed your life? Ooh, well, this goes back to another children's book from when I was really little, there was a book, The Tale of Benjamin Bunny by mm-hmm. Beatrix Potter. And I checked it out from that same library we were just talking about. And the short version of the story is that I checked it out during the summer and we were wheat farmers. Okay. And so we had a truck that we only used during wheat harvest. And I without realizing it, I put it in the glove box of that truck and I didn't remember putting it in there and I was not able to return that book on time. And we went to church with the librarian and we couldn't find the book. Uh, We turned the house upside down. I felt terrible. My mom felt terrible. And she would ask us about it every week at church. (laughs) We had no idea where the book was. And finally, my mom paid for the book. And then the next year when we got ready to harvest again, we got the truck out. We found it. Oh, my goodness. And so every time I see that book, you know, I think about all the feelings that went into that, you know, feeling like I failed because I they entrusted me with that book and I lost yes. it. And and my mom had to pay for it. But kind of the, the bookend of that is... A couple months ago, I was able to go back to the library. It was a different librarian by now, but I was able to donate my own book to that library. And so it felt like it came full circle a little bit. Yeah, I actually had a similar tale. We're um, a military family. And so when we were getting ready to move with, we only had our oldest at that time, but I was still working full time. And somehow a library book got packed up in our shipment that was moving to Italy. So I didn't see it. It took, you know, it's three to four months before you see your things and, you know, except the stuff that you leave behind for suitcases. And so I remember having to go to the, we were living in Norfolk at the time. And I remember going to Norfolk and being like, I am so sorry, but I lost this book. Can I just pay for it? Like, I'm pretty sure it is on a shipment on its way to Italy. Like there's nothing I can do about it at this point. And so I paid for it. And then sure enough, it came out of the box, but I'm like, well, at this point I paid for it. So we'll just keep it. Like, but I felt so, I felt that guilt of like, and I was an adult, you know, but I was like, oh my goodness. And the craziness of moving, I forgot to pull it out. So um, but yeah, so similar story. So are you a rereader? Oh yes, absolutely. And that's why I love, you know, short form like essays, because I love to go back and reread it. A lot of times when I go back and reread, 
just a long book. I will just read bits and pieces of it anyway, you know, stuff I've underlined or stuff I've turned back the page on, but I, I love rereading. Yeah. It's like visiting an old friend, yeah. you know, <laughs> that comfort zone. Yes. And then lastly, what are you reading next? The next one that I'm reading is a book that's coming out. It's a debut author and it's called Busting Barriers by Gladys, Dr. Gladys Childs. Oh yeah. And I I love, you know, a lot of people will be like, oh, it's a debut book. I don't know. I'll I don't know if it'll be any good, but I love reading first books by authors because a lot of us, you know, like we talked about, have a book inside of us. And so we're piling up all our lives, all this goodness. And then when our first, when the first book comes out, the author will put in there all this stuff they've been marinating on throughout their whole life. And you get the very cream of that. I love that. I've never thought about that. Yeah, because you don't know, they don't know if they're ever going to write another book. So they're like, I got to put all the very best stuff in this book, in this first one. And so I, I always am drawn to first books because I feel like that's where they're like giving it all they got and uh, just really laying it on the table. So I I look forward to that one, but that one's going to be an exciting one because it's about living out the fruits of the spirit and how we can do that and what keeps us from doing that. So, well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I know your time is precious and I appreciate all that you've given me. Oh, thank you for having me. This is so much fun. I love it. I love the questions and you're, you're easy to talk to. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode today with Lori Ann Wood and her book flight of personal narrative essay books. We'd love to hear what other books you'd pair with this book flight at bookishflights.com. That is also where you can find more information on today's flight and any other books that we talked about today. I want to inspire a community of readers. So whenever you share a post about what you are reading or what you are picking up next, Especially if you have heard about the book on the show, please tag us. Follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Bookish Flights. This is a brand new show, so if you enjoyed it, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give the show a review. Your review not only helps me, but it also helps the show reach others. Make sure you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to make sure that you will not miss an episode. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. As Emma Thompson said, I think books are like people in the sense that they'll turn up in your life when you most need them. Cheers to you, dear readers. Until next time.